0: Let's turn to Mark's Gospel, to chapter 2, let's read from verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus, and his disciples for there were many and they followed him when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners they said to his disciples how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners when Jesus heard it, he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance amen let's pray Lord, we thank you for your great grace and mercy. Thank you for your love for sinners. Thank you that you've given us your word so that we can feed upon it. And we pray now that you would help us as we come to understand this portion of your word, that you would give us right understanding, that you would help us to hear well, uh, remove from our hearts the cares that perhaps we have brought in through the door this evening, the worries that have Pressed in upon us from the world, we pray that they would not uh, choke out the word this evening, but that you would enable us to lay all those things aside now and to uh, allow your word to come into our hearts, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us, and that, Lord, as you would sanctify us by the word, you would also uh, produce in us desires to pray and to commune with you. Thank you for the evening hour on a Wednesday night. Thank you that we can be here, and... We can hear from you in the word and we can also respond in prayer and pray for your kingdom to come. Please, Lord, would you bless us now as we commit our time to you for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we were looking on Sunday night at the calling of Levi, the tax collector, this man who would have been seen as the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst because of what he did. His job was to take taxes from ordinary, hard-working Jewish folk, and not only did he add on big surcharges to make plenty of money for himself, but also the rest of that money he paid over to the Romans, to that great Gentile pagan oppressor of Israel, the, the Romans, and people like Caesar. And so a man like Levi then, he would have been a man hated and despised by ordinary Jewish folks. He would have been a man who was seen as defiled and unclean by the religious folks. And yet Jesus came to him and said to him, to Levi, come and follow me. I want you to leave behind your life of sin and come and follow me. It was Jesus' call to the worst of sinners. That's what we looked at on Sunday evening. And uh, we looked at a couple of things there. We looked at the who and the how of Jesus' call to Levi. Now, this evening, we want to finish up our study in this part of the narrative by considering a couple more things related to this. Uh, Just looking here at Mark chapter 2, these verses from verse 13 onwards for those just coming in. So, uh, Sunday night, we looked at the who and the how of Jesus' call to Levi. Now, this evening, I want to finish up uh, this part of the narrative by considering the what and the why. The what and the why of his call. Let's think about the what. What was it that he was calling Levi to? And we can see here it was a life of witness. A life of witness. You see that there in verse 15, it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. And so here's Levi, or Matthew, as he became. And he's heard the call of Christ to leave it all and to follow him. And so he gets up from his seat and he follows the Lord. But there's one last thing to do before that, and that is to bring his friends. He wants to bring his friends from his old life to come and to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew himself, Levi as he was, he doesn't tell us that. In his account, this is Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, all Matthew says of this incident is simply that it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Matthew doesn't mention that it was his own house. Uh, Matthew's far too humble to mention something like that. That's one of the things you notice about Matthew is his humility. He doesn't say much about himself. In fact, you can read all the Gospels, you won't find a single word spoken by Matthew. There are none of his words recorded uh, he's not involved in any of the disputes. You don't find Matthew ever competing with the other disciples, you know, for the best seats in the kingdom. He doesn't get involved in those kind of arguments. Um, he doesn't say any of the rash, hasty things that the other disciples do. You know, all of them pretty much have to say something at one point or other that later on they wish they hadn't said. But not Matthew. We don't read anything like that about him. Maybe he was so conscious of what kind of a person he'd been before. Christ saved him and so thankful that Christ had saved him that perhaps he was very careful to avoid that kind of thing. He was slow to speak and quick to listen. That seems to be a principle that governed uh, Matthew. Um, and what, another thing we can learn here from the text is that he's a man also who's so overjoyed that salvation has come, even to the likes of him, that he decides he's going to have a feast He decided he's going to open up his home and have his friends round. Probably he was a wealthy man just by virtue of the work that he'd done. And so uh, he decides he's going to open up his home and, and have friends round. Now, what kind of people was it? What kind of friends did he have? Look at verse 15 again. Many tax collectors and sinners sat together with Jesus. This is the guest list. At this party, it's tax collectors and sinners. These were his friends. No one else, most likely, would have associated with him. Probably the only people he really knew were people like himself robbers, thieves, conmen, prostitutes, other tax collectors. Um, other Gabai and Mokis. Do you remember we gave those two technical terms for the different types of tax collector there were in those days? It was basically those kind of individuals. Those were his friends. This party is really a, a crowd drawn from the, um, the, uh, the Capernaum underworld, you might say. And he invites them all around for a party. It's a, it's a leaving party, we could say, because what he's doing here, he's saying to his fellow tax collectors, uh, yes, I, I used to work for King Herod, but now I work for King Jesus. And so he's getting them around. He wants them to meet with the Lord Jesus. There's, there's an evangelistic purpose to this gathering. It's a, it's a meal and a message, you might say. And the guest speaker is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's invited all his friends round because he wants them to know that there is salvation. Yes, there's salvation even for the likes of them. His friends of his, tax collectors and sinners, the the outcasts, the despised, the deplorables, the ones that nobody wants, the ones that nobody esteems. Yes, there's a salvation for them and Jesus came to save people just like them. And so this is an incredible scene, isn't it? Just to imagine in your mind's eye, to imagine this probably a large home and it's filled with people from the underworld. So these tax collectors and hoodlums and gangsters and prostitutes all together there in this large house. And who else was there? Who's the guest of honor? Who's in the middle of it all? It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Matthew's invited all of his friends around because he wants them to meet with him. And so we can learn from this, can't we? We can apply this. In what way? In this way. Seize the opportunities that present themselves at conversion. Seize the opportunities that immediately present themselves when you first get saved. Because conversion is its a wonderful time of openings and opportunities for witness. When we're newly converted, think about it, we have quite a strategic Position at that point we're in a kind of transition between two worlds we've just been brought out of the kingdom of darkness just and now we've been brought into the kingdom of light but at that point we do we still have many friends from the old life don't we what tends to happen as you go on in the Christian life is you lose a lot of those friends. We shouldn't do, but that's generally the way it goes. You tend to lose a lot of those old friends just because you don't really have that much in common with them anymore. It's sad, but that's often the way it goes. But here at the moment of conversion, when we've just been saved, we're still very much part of that old established friendship network. And so because of that, there are many people, friends from that world who have seen what's happened to us. They've seen it close up they've had a front row seat and they're challenged by what they see what's happened and this is this can be very compelling there are tremendous opportunities for witness in that situation i remember when i was converted i've told you about this before but i was converted in the summer between two 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 years my second year at university and then in the summer months i got converted and i went back to university in manchester for my third year i'd been converted in the middle somewhere in the summer and I remember going back to Manchester. I hadn't seen many of those friends for many, many months. And I was in the library. And I'd been converted. I started to spend more time in the library. I became more studious. I knew now that university wasn't just for goofing around. And I was spending more time in the library. And I remember this girl came over to to my cubicle. She said, excuse me, can I ask you something? What's happened to you? You're a very different person to the one who was here last year. What's happened? And I had opportunity. I remember uh, sharing with her there uh, in the library. And I had a number of opportunities like that with old friends from the old way of life. And so if you're a new Christian, don't miss those. Seize those. Make the most of those. Use the time you have in the early days of faith to reach the unsaved friends that you have around you. And to those of us who are older, those of us who have been in the Christian life a few more years, then we should pray that we won't lose it. Um... That we won't lose that zeal, that fervour. Do you you remember what you were like when you were first saved? Do you remember the zeal you had? You you would have chased a fellow down the street to put a tract in his hand, wouldn't you? Do you still have that same zeal? Is the fire still burning? Pray the Lord will keep that fire burning and that he might impress upon all our hearts the importance, the vital importance of Christian witness. And also, don't shy away from opportunities to mix with unsaved loved ones. That's a beautiful phrase out there in verse 15, isn't it? Many tax collectors and sinners sat together with Jesus. What a beautiful phrase that is. They sat with him. He sat with them. Actually, in the original, the word is reclined. <laughs> he reclined with them. He, he didn't sit in a corner. He didn't just huddle himself, uh, keep the disciples around him, and then just stand up to speak when he was called upon. <laughs> he was sat in the middle of them. He was reclining, talking to them. And meals in those days, they weren't just the kind of 45-minute, hour-long affairs that perhaps we have today. Meals in those days could be whole-day affairs. And these were opportunities for meeting and sharing and talking, really talking about things. In Luke's Gospel alone, there are about 10 dinner scenes. And so it shows us just how much often very profound conversation took place around the dinner table. And so that's something for us to apply to, isn't it? Is there a way in which you can use your home for that, to share the gospel in that way? Can you use your home or even your backyard to have people around, maybe some non-Christian friends? Or some neighbors, invite them around, maybe invite some Christian friends around too, to mix with them, to get this kind of dynamic that we have here, to apply it. I know people who've done that uh, in an attempt to introduce non-Christian friends to the gospel in that way. And so that's the what there, We're thinking about the what, what Jesus called him to, he called him to a life of witness, there's a fourth thing we can notice here, and that is the why, why is it that Jesus mixes with people like this, why does Jesus mix with sinners, because eating in those days, eating around a table, that was seen as having fellowship. And these people would have been seen by most as defiled and unclean. That, that, that's the reaction of the Pharisees. That's their question, isn't it? When they see what's going on in the house there and they see Jesus sitting reclining with these kind of people. Verse 16. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Seeing this motley crew assembled there in that house and seeing Jesus sitting there reclining in the midst of them. They're shocked. They're astonished, they're appalled, and they're troubled. They're very troubled by this. Luke, in his account of this, says the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling. They're grumbling about this. I mean, they're still getting over what they've already seen. The fact, uh, what went on in Simon Peter's house, and there was the man on the mat, and Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, that really uh, blindsided them when he said that. And before that, the fact that he reached out and touched a leper. I mean, they, they can hardly get their heads around all of this sort of thing. And if that wasn't enough, this is actually even worse. I mean, lepers couldn't help being like that. But tax collectors, the, that was their choice. And not only is he talking with them, but he's eating. He's sitting down, he's eating with them. No, 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 oh, no, that's, that's too much. That is too much. Because... For the Jews, sitting down and sharing a meal with someone, well, we've just said it, it was an expression of fellowship. It was an extension of peace and trust and brotherhood and uh, had very strong spiritual implications and overtones. And as such, of course, there were certain people that you did not have table fellowship with. And for the likes of the scribes and the Pharisees, very high on that list, were tax collectors And so you can imagine how they would respond when they look into that home and they see what's going on here. This is outrageous. This is scandalous, what he's doing. Look at him sitting there, talking, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. It was a scandal. It was an outrage. How could he do such a thing? They're thinking to themselves. And Jesus knows this and he responds overhearing the Pharisees' words to his disciples, verse 17. Jesus simply says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. This is a climactic moment. Uh, This is really what Jesus has come for. It's summed up there, isn't it? He hasn't come to save the righteous. And by that word righteous there, he means those who in their own estimation consider themselves as righteous. He hasn't come for those who think that spiritually they've got it all together. They've got everything in order. They've got spiritually all their ducks in a row. They've got their lives in order. No, he came to save those whose lives have been messed up ruined destroyed by sin he's come to save those people more than that he's come to save those who know their lives have been ruined and destroyed by sin those who are sick and they know they're sick that's who Jesus has come to save and that's where you'll find me Jesus says among those kind of people just like any good physician where where do you expect to find a, a doctor generally speaking you don't go down to the beach to look for a doctor You don't go to the shopping center and expect to find a doctor. You don't go to the golf course to find a doctor. The place you find a doctor is in a hospital or a medical center on the cancer ward, isn't it? Where there are sick people, that's where you'll find a doctor. And so Jesus says, that's where I must be. Among these kind of people, spiritually sick people, that's what they are. So that's where I must be. And then he turns it on them and says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance and that word righteous he's using that in a sort of an ironic sense in that the pharisees they thought they were righteous in their own estimation they thought they were in great shape spiritually why did they think that precisely because of what they were doing here this kind of thing the way that they kept themselves away well away from anything that was unclean and defiled that's what they did that's how they made themselves righteous they thought by the holy things that they did and by the unholy unclean things that they kept away from that was what righteousness was for them it meant avoiding anything that was unclean and it meant not transgressing any of the 613 commandments many of which they had actually made up themselves so that if you kept those if you checked all of those things off you're in good shape and in that way you could establish your own righteousness but these men you see they misunderstood they misunderstood the deep-rooted innately corrupting nature of sin the inward internal nature of sin sin isn't something that can just be isolated to a list of things that you do and you don't now the bible tells us over and over that sin is a power Sin is a force. Sin is a disease. And as such, it's something that corrupts every part of our nature. And also as such, it's something that corrupts every single one of us. There is no one righteous. No, not one the lord looked down from heaven this is psalm 14 upon the sons of men to see if there were any who understood any who seek after god they have all turned aside together they have become corrupt there is no one who does good no not one that's what the bible tells us over and over isn't it no one righteous no not one and so as long as we think that we are righteous and that we have managed in some way to to keep ourselves free from sin and that by our lives we have done enough to earn favor with god then really we're no better than the Pharisees. That was the way they thought. If we think like that, we are self-deceived, we are deluded, and a long way from finding the salvation that Jesus came to bring. And so then, which one are you this evening listening to this message? Are you, the self-righteous Pharisee, very pleased with your own accomplishments and your own worth and offended if anyone would tell you that you are not good enough for God? Or are you more like Levi here or Zacchaeus? Have you come to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm ashamed? Lord, I'm disgusted with myself for my sin, my self-seeking, my pride. Lord, I accept everything the Bible says about me. I am a rebel. I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. I'm coming to you for mercy. Heal me, cleanse me, wash me of my sins, Lord Jesus because if you do that, if you come to him that way, he will welcome you and he will sup with you and he will say, I will forgive you and I will wipe the slate clean and it will give you new life. And then, like Levi, you'll want to bring all your friends to meet him too. Just as we finish up, just briefly want to tell you about William Booth. Uh, he was the founder of the Salvation Army in England, and he was a man who came to know Christ as a young man, and he became very zealous in his Christian witness, and he would go out uh, onto the streets. He had a real burden for the poor street people in, um, in London, and uh, one occasion, his biographer tells about a, a time when he brought a number of these folks, these very poor folks, and brought them to his church, and uh, the... The, the biographer describes the scene here. I'm just going to read this to you a couple of sentences. It says, a shabby contingent of men and women wilting nervously under the stony stairs of mill managers, shopkeepers, and their well-dressed wives. This is the scene as they came in. Then, to his dismay, the Reverend Dunn saw that young Booth was actually ushering his charges, none of whose clothes would have raised five shillings in a pawn shop into the very best seats. This was unprecedented for the poor if they came to that chapel, entered by another door, to be segregated on benches without backs or cushions behind a partition which screened off the pulpit. You know, these were the modern-day Pharisees, scandalized by the people that Booth would bring into their church. And as a result, eventually they ran him out of that church. But that led to him setting up the Salvation Army as a result. But how about us? Uh, What are we doing To reach the lost, am I even concerned about the lost or am I happy with my cozy, comfy Christian social club? CT Stud said Some want to live within the sound of a church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Well, he was a man like William Booth and like Levi here, who did just that. He heard the Saviour's call. He followed the Saviour's call. And then he brought all his friends to meet the Savior too. And he turned his home into a rescue shop a yard from hell.